everyone, and welcome to another episode of Houndcast. We're so excited for this episode, and we have a great topic, so I'm glad that you all have tuned in to join us. I'm Amanda Manza, your Director of Alumni and Parent Engagement, and I'm joined today by my colleague and co-host, Justin Dorenzis. How are you, Justin? Good, Amanda. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being with us today and helping us out. We are going to be talking today about coping in a time of COVID-19, and I think this is just such an appropriate topic for right now. Obviously, we're all kind of dealing with different stressors, different, um, you know, just things happening in our lives. So having some tools in our toolbox to pull out when we are feeling stressed and we just need something, I think it's really important. So I'm excited to have our guests with us today, Dr. Bob Brill and Dr. Alina Hay from the psychology department. How are you guys doing today? Great. Good. Awesome. Do you guys want to take just a quick second to kind of introduce yourselves to our viewers? Um, some of them may know you, some of them may have never met you before. So just a little bit of information about kind of your roles at Moravian um, and maybe some of uh, what your research and expertise areas are. No, me first. Okay. So um, I'm Alina Hay. I'm an assistant professor of psychology at Moravian. I'm new to Moravian. This is my first, I just finished my first year there. Um, and um, my expertise or, and what I kind of focus on um, is clinical psychology broadly. So I study mental health. Um, and a little bit more specifically, I'm very interested in um, working with individuals who experience mood and anxiety disorders and in kind of looking at questions of how we manage and regulate um, the swirl of emotions that we have in any given day, um, both when we're feeling well and when we're feeling this increase in anxiety and mood. Um, um, so that's kind of um, a little bit about me. Awesome. Thanks, Alina. It's very neat. Uh, interesting kind of research area. So thanks for sharing that. Thank you. And Bob? So, so yeah, so for our alums uh, who may recall, Dr. Lori Toder uh, retired last year. Um, if you were hearing about Dr. Hayes' clinical counseling background, um, she has replaced Dr. Toder, who's enjoying her retirement down in Florida. Uh, but we were ecstatic to, to have such a great hire. In, in Dr. Hay, she's taken over and filled that critical clinical counseling void and her expertise is invaluable, uh, which will be a nice supplement to kind of my old dog perspective here. I'm, I'm the, uh, the old guy in the, in the, in the department, uh, Bob Brill, been here at Moravian, just got done my 29th year, so, so heading into the 30th. And uh, it's been a really great run. Uh, I also serve as the faculty athletic representative to the NCAA. So I've been doing that for the last five or six years my background is industrial organizational psychology. Uh, one of my areas of interest is work family, uh, work life balance. So I'll try to bring some of that into perspective. And of course, all of that research has to pretty much be rewritten. Uh, more specifically, uh, current uh, research I'm doing is in um, uh, feedback, feedback and motivation, um, feedback and, and team cohesion. So uh, a nice research area that spans both the industrial settings and a little bit of my my sports and athletic interests. Very cool. Thanks, Bob. That's um, got to be really interesting right now and kind of, you know, I'm sure reading what your colleagues are looking into and stuff with how everything has changed recently and we're all working remotely and what does that really look like? So that's got to be kind of a neat thing to be learning about and researching right now and kind of diving into. So thanks. Awesome. 
So we are going to be talking today, like I said, about kind of some coping mechanisms. But before we really jump into that, can you guys talk to us a little bit about just like what, what are we actually experiencing? What do we need to know about what's happening right now? Kind of those emotions that we're feeling, all of that. Can you just give us a little bit of background on that? Absolutely. So maybe I'll start us off. The first thing that I like to think about and I like for folks to think about with everything going on right now is that people are going to have all different types of emotional reactions to the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all experiencing. People might feel scared. People might feel angry. People might feel sorrowful. People might feel confused. Um, it, you know, people might feel a whole jumble of things. And every single emotional experience that we have is a valid and natural um, reaction. We are reacting to a very intense, very unexpected, um, and very oftentimes traumatic global event, right? And so all of the emotions that we're having are typical, all of the emotions that we're having are understandable. And so I like to talk with folks right off the bat, kind of let yourselves off the hook. It's okay to be having whatever emotional reaction you're having. And it's okay if sometimes that emotional reaction is more and sometimes it's less, right? That's natural. That is the typical reaction to something as intense and big um, and uncertain as what we're all going through. It's our brain's natural response to a significant stressor to kind of be all over the map, okay? Um, and so that's the first thing I like to remind people of we're managing a lot we're managing loss we're managing fear we're managing uncertainty we're managing grief all different types of emotions um, and a lot of them are really negative and really tough and so we might have good days we might have bad days we might have good hours or good minutes and bad hours or bad minutes and all of it is 100 percent okay and so I like to remind people to let yourselves off the hook a little bit because all of the emotional reactions that you're having are natural and understandable and it's the way our brain responds, okay? People are probably a little bit more reactive than they typically might be. So it's normal when we're dealing with a significant stress, we kind of already feel like we're at our emotional max all the time. And so even a small thing can kind of break the camel's back, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It can be kind of push us over the edge um, more so than it typically would because we're dealing with so much intensity and uncertainty um, that there's a lot of times where we kind of already feel like our emotional tank is on E. And so small things, large things, medium things, anything that comes up, can make us feel more reactive than it normally would. Um, and so all we can really do is respond to what's happening in the moment and do our best not to judge those emotional reactions that we're having, right? Realize that this is natural, it's understandable, and that you are not alone. This is how everyone is feeling, you know, just their own version of it at their own moment in time. So that's the first thing I like to think about when I kind of zoom out and think about how our emotions and our minds and our brains are reacting to such a global, um, you know, pandemic of, of intense, intense things that we're managing every day. Yeah, and if, if I could just hone in, on Dr. Hay is talking about, uh, I, I think the two, the combo that I, I get most concerned about is, is grief and guilt. And, and I think a lot of people are, are heavy on the guilt, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way, and not acknowledging the grief. And, and I think we need to reverse that a little bit. 
Um, you, you know, the, the grief is real, it's palpable, as Dr. Hay was saying, and, and I think we, we really need to allow ourselves to experience that and deal with it, very honest, specific, and, and empathetic communication with each other. Um, we, we've got to realize that we are losing, we're genuinely losing things, whether it's um, an invested memory, like graduation, or final season of competition, or uh, you know, especially our athletes, this would be, for some of them, it would have been the highest level of competition that they would be competing in. Uh, graduation being moved to October, these are, these are serious losses, uh, or even more generically, people's expected memories of maybe moving to a new house or a vacation. Uh, now, again, not the same scale as losing a loved one, but that shouldn't diminish it. And I, and I think, you know, we're, we're, we're wallowing in guilt because we feel these losses but what we have to realize is, is that we're always crafting our identity. And so these new memories, these expected memories that we've invested in are like little pieces of our identity that get taken away. And, and so, so basically, we're, we're really having to adapt to this unfairness. And, and as Dr. Hay was saying, is, is the, the, the spectrum is wide open in terms of what we could be grieving, what losses we're trying to contend with. So let yourself grieve. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to some of our athletes and, you know, yes, Tom Hanks was right. There's no crying in baseball, but, but when it's the loss of your final season, uh, then maybe some tears and, and some crying moments are warranted and, and in fact, maybe even appropriate. Um, so, so then that leaves us, like I said, the willingness and approval to, to, to grieve. What I wanted to say about guilt, feeling bad about that grief, because so many other people are, are dealing with such traumatic uh, losses, you know, our losses are also traumatic. It's kind of a relative term. Um, and and when, when we're talking about that guilt, I, I, I don't think there's really anything productive to be had with the energy of expending guilt, except when guilt is really a catalyst to do something positive, positive change, a commitment towards positive change. And so I think that's what we have to do with our guilt. It's so what, now what? Okay, the, the hard truth is that even without COVID, um, Life is always kind of a series of losses, and we need to see it in that framework. Yes, we are at a difficult, difficult time right now. It's an extraordinary time, um, but, but it's still a series of losses from beginning to end that we're dealing with in life. And um, our challenge is, is what do we do with that time? I, I was cracking up the other night. My kids were watching uh, Lord of the Rings, and, and I thought it was so poignant. Um, you know, that, that there's a reason that Tolkien's classic is, is such a classic. Um, and I, that moment where Gandalf's wisdom and solace for Frodo, you know, Frodo, there they are in the midst of, of a, a war over Middle Earth, and he's overwhelmed by the, the, the burden of this ring bearer role that's been cast upon him. And, and he's saying, I wish none of this ever happened. And I think we're all kind of in that Frodo's mindset that, God, why does this have to happen to us? And I wish it didn't. And, and, and so Gandalf says to him, you know, so do all who live to see such times, but, but that's not for them to decide. And, and, and he, he concludes with all we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given. So I know we're going to move into coping strategies, but it really comes down to psychological hardiness. Uh, we want to have a sense of control, what we can control. We want to have a sense of challenge about those things. Uh, when we talk about control, doing our part, maybe being better at our work and family roles and, and a sense of achieving those is what I mean by challenge. And, and then a real commitment to those, those things, as well as other hobbies and personal growth opportunities. Because we could, we could frame it as an opportunity.
Um, when I talk about control, challenge, and commitment as, as the way we can try to frame this, I'm kind of talking about kind of a precursor to some of the cognitive parts of this challenge. I think before we go on to the next question, I think, Dr. Hay, we had talked about you kind of balancing that with some of the emotion, some of the, the, the emotion insight. Mm -hmm. So you know, you know me so well already. I'm always thinking about emotions. <laughs> um, so, you know, one thing I like to think about, I think that the, those very, very wise words and um, just lovely and so speak so truly to so many people's experiences, um, Dr. Brill. And I think one thing that can be helpful as we kind of zoom in a little bit is to think about these emotional experiences that we're having as kind of, I like to think of them as emotional waves. So hopefully we've all been to the beach at some point or we've at least seen um, a, um, an image or a, or a video of the beach, right? So when a wave comes in, it kind of comes in quickly and it crests and then it kind of it recedes back, right? And so I like to think about emotions as waves. So they'll ebb and flow. They'll peak up really high and they will also ebb back, right? And so negative emotions and positive emotions all follow this wave cycle. Um, and so when we're feeling these really negative emotions, whether they be guilt or fear or loss or whatever they may be, I think it's helpful to think about them as a wave. So this is going to go up, right? Just like a wave does. And it's gonna peak just like a wave does. And it's also going to go down just like a wave does, right? So we don't have to do anything at all but ride out the emotion and know that it will pass us by. This too shall pass, right? And that's how all emotions work. That is the magic of emotion, is if all we do is sit with our negative emotion, it will recede. And that's a really important thing to remember that the peak isn't going to last forever. It can't go up forever and it can't go on forever. Physiologically, that's not the way our brains and our bodies work. And so when you're in a really intense peak of negative emotion, which is so understandable and everyone is experiencing from time to time now or very frequently, remembering that when it's at that peak, it's not gonna stay there. It's gonna act like a wave. And if you just sit with it, it will pass you by. It might come back again. It will come back again at some other point, right? But know that every time you're in the peak of that emotional wave that you can do, at, if you just sit with it, it is going to recede on its own. And I think that's a helpful way to manage and think through. And even if you can picture in your mind, this emotion is a wave and reminding ourselves, I've been through waves like this before. I've had times where they weren't here and I will have times where this wave is not here again that can be um, really, really powerful and like a first step in starting to think about how we approach these intense emotions that we're having now. I think that's such a great way to kind of think about it because we all are, you know, as Bob mentioned, we're all, we're all feeling different things and we're all feeling probably guilty for feeling certain things because, you know, you can always sit there and be like, well, you know, there's probably somebody out there that has it worse and, you know, it, 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 you have to kind of accept that, but then to kind of think about it, Lena, as you're saying, kind of with this like wave metaphor type thing, I think that helps to kind of process what's going on and knowing that, yeah, I'm up here and I'm at this peak, but it's going to come down, it's going to go back, and we just kind of need to be mindful of that. So mm -hmm. thanks for kind of framing it that way. I think that's very helpful for people. So. And I think Bob and Elena, too, you know, in terms of our audience today and, and our viewers thinking 
about how many emotions that they've gone through right over these past two months. I think it is important that the both of you uh, really drew on that point that it is okay, right, to feel grief and it is okay uh, to feel sadness and that at the end of the day, that's a really healthy part of our whole emotional standpoint and, and emotional well-being and health. So thank you for, for sharing uh, and pointing that out as well. And so Dr. Hay, you mentioned about understanding the emotions we struggle with as waves that ebb and flow. Can you share some other key points about how we get through these waves of emotion? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so we'll start with our wave metaphor and keeping that in our mind, but okay, so I'm at the peak of a wave. What's something I can do to maybe make that wave pass me by a little bit more quickly or to manage the intensity at that peak? Um, so one thing that I like to practice with folks, um, and you can use this in any stressful situation, um, but I think it's particularly good right now to think about keeping this one in our back pockets. It's a technique called square breathing or box breathing. Um, and so um, I'm, what this entails is counting our breath and breathing kind of mindfully. So when we're box breathing, we breathe in through our nose for four counts. We hold it for four counts. Then we blow our air out through our pursed lips, and then we wait before inhaling for four counts. So it's four counts of four. And this is a way to kind of physiologically down-regulate, to just take the levels down a little bit. Um, and so I thought maybe we could practice some box breathing here as a group, if you're willing to be my uh, participant crowd here. Yes? You are, of course. Okay. <laughs> so I will try to kind of breathe along with you, but I'll also give you an instruction. When we're doing box breathing, we really want to just do about two maximum of four sets of these you're going to get maybe a little dizzy if you kept doing this you know endlessly um it's good for just a few breaths okay so we already when i'm doing box breathing and there are other people near me you can kind of get into a comfortable mindfulness position so when i'm being mindful i put both my feet on the floor i rest my hands down somewhere soft um so they're not like clenched up they're kind of resting at my sides um and I just breathe, so we're all gonna breathe in through our nose. One, two, three, four, and hold that breath. One, two, three, four, and then blow it out strongly through purse lips. Two, three, four, and wait. Two, three, four, and we'll do it one more time. Big inhale. Two, three, four, and hold two, three, four, and exhale, two, three, four, and pause, two, three, four. Okay, so well, I'll stop there, but that was two sets of box breathing. Um, so any reactions from you all in doing that, even just doing it twice? I think, I mean, I kind of enjoyed it, but you know, I feel like it's a good way to, you know, when you are kind of having that heightened sense of emotion, whatever it is to just like take a step back and like to do something like that, to calm yourself down, to take a minute to breathe, you know, everybody said, you know, just breathe, just breathe your body, you know, like, but to actually consciously think about doing that, you know, and, and processing it and giving it, you know, your body and your mind a minute to just kind of 
just relax and, you know, kind of figure out what, what's my next course of action? What's my next step before, you know, you kind of move on. So I think that's a great technique. Thanks for, for sharing that with us. Yeah, I would have to agree with Amanda. You know, I feel like that was a very sort of calming and, and relaxing um, experience. Yeah, for me, for me, the, the, the very deliberate exhale, that four second exhale, mm -hmm. very deliberate is, uh, um, I, I have like a, a little, I don't want to say physiological high, but there's something for that particular four seconds, there's a really powerful sensation that's kind of reinvigorating for me and uh, cathartic and invigorating at the same time. So yeah. I, I endorse that, that especially taking that, that, I think it's the third one in, hold out. Yeah, the out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like you're kind of, you're getting rid of whatever those stressors are, those, whatever you're dealing with, kind of, you get it out. So. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if you even want to visualize that, you know, like, okay, and I'm exhaling away this emotion, I'm exhaling it away, that's great. And if that works for you. Our breath is a powerful thing. Physiologically, you know, our emotions are part of our physiological reactions. You can't dissociate the two. Emotions are physiology, right? That's one of the core tenets of having an emotion. So if we can downregulate our physiology through breathing, we're going to downregulate our emotion or at least make it manageable to get through that kind of peak moment. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. Um, I think that's a, a great way to kind of, you know, help us process, calm, and move on. Are there things we can do that can help to kind of, you know, bolster and prolong these moments of feeling good that, you know, it's not just 16 seconds of breathing, but, you know, what can we do to kind of make that a little bit longer, especially these days? That's a good question. So research um, suggests um, that positive event planning can be a huge key in keeping our mood um, kind of more level. So what do I mean by positive event planning? So usually um, I'll schedule this out. So right now, I like think it's helpful to think about some background. Right now, as a country and as a world, we're engaging in a lot more physical distancing, right? So we're not necessarily doing those same um, social activities in the same way that we used to. Um, and so that means that maybe we're doing a lot less activities or the activities are a little bit more contained to being less variable, right? And that is an important thing that we're doing for our greater public health, um, and it is a good thing to do. Um, but sometimes when we start to do less activities, our brain becomes like a little bit more slow and less, um, and so that's when we kind of create um, a possible um, opportunity for negative emotion to creep in. And so, what can counteract that research shows and um, lots of lots of people anecdotally can also talk about um, that when we start to get more active and start to do more things um, that actually promotes positive mood and so um, what i like to ask people to do if they want to is to try to find some things that you enjoy and purposely plan them in your day so these things can be big ticket items like doing an online exercise class, but you should also pick small, like low energy barrier things that are really easy for you to do, like something like taking a hot shower or bath or um, making a cup of tea if that's something that you like, or just watching your, an episode of your favorite comedy. 
write something and it should be in the positive variety. So pop on like an episode of The Office or something. Um, just doing something that you know you enjoy. And what I have people do, and I think it can be helpful, is write down what those things are. Because when we notice our mood is getting a little lower, sometimes it's hard to think about things we like to do. Because we're not feeling super positive, and so it's harder to identify things that feel positive. And so writing them down, and you have that list, you can just kind of like bring in front of you and say, all right, so what's something I feel like doing, right? Um, and have that pre-populated so that it's just there for you when you need it. Um, and what I can be really helpful is trying to do one extra positive thing a day than you would typically do. Um, whether you're feeling your mood is great or your mood is kind of mediocre or your mood is more down, do it regardless. Every day, one more positive thing than you would normally do. Um, and if you Google like positive events, there's lists out there that are like hundreds of items long. So if you have a hard time finding them, just Google it um, and you can usually find some good lists and, and find some things. If there's nothing you think you would enjoy now, pick something you think you used to enjoy and see if doing that for a while after a while starts to become enjoyable again. So sometimes I even people will even set like little reminders on their phone to say like, oh, it's time to do your positive thing. And it can be a, like a thing like, oh, I'm going to go for a run or um, whatever it is. It can be like a large thing, but it can be something that's easy and fast and and not too much energy to do too. Um, like I said, like um, making a fa your favorite cup of tea um, or even just kind of looking outside at your favorite flowering tree or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be something really big, but it should be purposeful and it should be one more thing than you were already doing naturally. Um, and if you're having a hard time remembering to do it, those reminders on your phone can be really, or your computer, um, or even a sticky note on your mirror can all be really helpful to remind us to do our positive event. I think, you know, a lot of things in our lives right now are out of our control. So doing something like this that is in our control can feel really good in times of uncertainty. To do something that is more certain, that we can control which is doing something small or big that we know we're going to enjoy, or at least we have a hunch that we used to enjoy it so it's worth a go. If you're really feeling down and you notice that you're not enjoying things as much as you used to, it's okay if it doesn't bring you as much joy as it used to. Keep going, your mood will build over time. So that's my suggestion. Thank yeah, you. And, and yeah, and, and man, if I could jump in there, um, yeah. you know, uh, when, I, when I think about, uh, sharing and and the, the the two the two categories that come to mind for me are self-care and social support and i i think they comment it's very well um what i mean by self well those two categories about emotions as waves right our our challenge in coping is to learn how to swim right learn how to swim through those waves so I really, really want to emphasize and encourage people to embrace self-care and social support. So specifically what I mean for self-care, um, Socrates is known for saying, know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. And, and I think there's a really important parallel for us these days uh, or a corollary, and that is to take care of yourself is the beginning of compassion. And I, I think we all need compassion but sometimes we're too self-giving. Sometimes we, we run out of gas or 
not selfish by any means. Um, make sure we take care of ourselves so that we're able to lose. And, and this is really kind of the basic of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is where it begins. Um, some people who are depressed and overwhelmed, they're not taking care of themselves nutritionally. And so eat, you need, even if it's just grazing the day, even if you've changed from a three course meal to something more routine, eat a bit throughout the day to keep your strength up. Um, you know, some of these things are, um, staying hydrated so that we can be helpful beings to others. Water should be supplemented by active, staying active, uh, woven into some of those things. Mentioning our outdoor activities that you may find a lot of passion, a lot of interest in. Um, you want to make sure, again, if you can get into an exercise routine, it's really important. And if you can do it with someone, if you have a, a social or a, a work that still abiding by safety and social distancing and uh, whatever the safe partnership entails, uh, those things are, are, are incredibly important. The exercise, if it can be outside, the weather's getting nicer, um, you know, be sure ask accessible, use it. Uh, but but if, if it has to be inside routine, just stay active. Eat, drink water, stay active. Uh, enough sleep, getting enough sleep. Um, again, the on sleep is routine is good. Routine is good. If people are having problems sleeping, it's very helpful to try to go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time, between allowing that you get enough sleep and duration. But that routine is really good for sleep cycles. Uh, and then and really the last thing on self-care that I can't emphasize enough is, is regulating your screen time. This kind of moves out into a more contemporary uh, need hierarchy issue, but moderation, okay? Whether it's news that you're taking in um, or if it's, you know, a big source of your entertainment, all in moderation. It's okay to get input obsessed and, and compulsively on your screen all the time is um, a help. So, so that's what I mean by self-care. Uh, for social, because again, this is huge. This is huge because got to remember, we are by nature social animals. So we're in a time right now, right, where we're faced with social distancing, and yet by nature, we're, we're social animals. So we're, we're really having to deal with it. With it. Uh, but we have to remember that social distancing is, is, is really not what we're talking about. We're talking about physical distancing, right? Um, so, so now, you know, people are needing to make that critical distinction. And, and so we need to make sure we take care of our social needs. Uh, Helen Keller, I'll, I'll pull out Helen Keller's quote, you know, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much, right? And I think even though we're at a time where social distancing is, is the norm that we keep championing, realize that with technology and other things in moderation, we are able to connect, we are able to feed those, those um, those social needs and, and do just as much, if not more. Uh, so one of the things I would suggest in terms of social support is taking, literally taking an inventory uh, and, and really identify the sources that you have, that you value, that you cherish, and, and maybe that you've been underutilizing. Um, and and I, would, I would literally make a list of people 
that that do four things for you, right? Four things. I'm big on C's, so I'm going to go back to C's again. My four C's of social support. When we talk about emotional coping, we want to make sure we have people in our lives that we can celebrate with and that we do find things to celebrate, even in this, this difficult, challenging time. And then consolation. And, and Lord knows many people are dealing with sorrow and grief and uh, real genuine losses that, that, are, that they need consolation. They need that shoulder to cry on. So you really want to make sure you have a rich inventory of people in those two areas of emotion coping, uh, celebration and consoling. But then again, back to that swimming analogy, we got, we got to learn to swim. So problem solving. We, we need people who can help us problem solve. And, and there, you know, we want to try to have a, a nice rich list of people that we can seek counsel that would be my third C, counselors, source of counseling, uh, uh, whether it's professionals and formal counseling or peers and uh, mentors who we see as, as really critical sources of wisdom and practical advice. Uh, for that third one, counseling, I, I go back to one of our esteemed alums, uh, JP Orlando. Uh, back when uh, JP Orlando, he, he graduated and like two years later, he came to me, threw a packet on my desk and he it's like, hey, Dr. Brill, congratulations. You're, you're a member of my board of directors. Huh? What the hell are you talking about, JP? And, and so sure enough, that's what he was doing. He was, he was, he was literally formalized. Mentorship for him. And, and sure enough, two or three times, he'd, he'd draw me in for that. Uh, but, but if it's people to help us with our, our spouse role, our parenting role, our work role, we need to have a rich inventory of people who, are, who will be counselors for us. And then lastly, really the tough one to have a column in, but really critical to have, um, to really have an inventory of is, is constructive confrontation. You know, counseling usually means I know I have a problem and I seek out advice, but, but we need people to kind of kick us, need to reach out to know that they're going to give us the tough, the tough love, the tough wisdom that we might sometimes need uh, to ask us if we've been eating, drinking water, doing our exercise routine. You know, uh, people who will be constructively confronting us to kind of move us toward our potential, to help us to be resilient, to persevere and grow. Uh, uh, my wife happens to be a natural at that, uh, so that helps. Uh, but that's a sign of a balance is that constructive confrontation. And, and yeah, it's sometimes getting told the tough stuff, kind of, like I say, a kick in the butt that we might need. Um, so again, you know, people who we celebrate with, console with, and then on the problem-solving end, sources of counseling and, and constructive confrontation. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I encourage you, not just, don't just make this list, but make sure we reach out to them and, and express our gratitude, even, even if they haven't been a source of, of wisdom just yet during this pandemic, because uh, we know that gratitude, gratitude is a huge, powerful thing to bolster our, our mental health and well-being. Um, so these are people who we value and cherish, but maybe we haven't told them that lately. The act of gratitude, journaling about our gratitude and, and, and expressing our gratitude can do wonders for us. But then once we have that inventory, let's ask ourselves, are we making proper use of them, of these individuals, of, of these cherished jewels, treasures, uh, as much as we should during this time? Uh, so we're not alone. We're not alone, nor should we be. That's great. Thank you guys for sharing that. I think that's all really important to take a, to take a step back and actually consciously think about you know I think there's so many times we're like oh well we're, I'm doing this for me this is my like moment of self-care but are you 
really, you know, are you consciously taking a moment to take that step back and think about those? So I think those are all some great uh, activities that we can all kind of do right now to help us get through this time. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. And so as we move toward wrapping up here, you know, Bob and Elena, I just want to say that we really appreciate, you know, you being here with us today and being able to offer so many insights and so many tips and tricks that not only our alumni can utilize towards fostering a betterment of their own health, but certainly fostering a benefit of their family and friends' health. So thank you so much for, for being here. Is there any other uh, practical details to share with our viewers today? Um, I guess in summary, I would say be kind to yourselves. You know, what we're going through is really tough. It's genuinely really, really hard. Um, and all of the emotions you're having are natural and understandable. So please be kind to yourselves. Um, remember that all of these emotional experiences you're having are waves. They will ebb, they will flow. Breathe through those hard parts when they do come up and stay proactive in your coping. All of the things that we've talked about here and many, many more. Um, as Dr. Brill mentioned, stay socially connected, even, if it, even though it should be probably at a physically distanced um, way. There's still many ways to stay physically, or sorry, socially connected. Definitely engage in that self-care. When we are able to meet those basic needs um, that Dr. Brill talked about, we are way better at managing problems and we are way better at managing our own emotionality and we are way better at being there for other people. Without those things in place, it is very hard to do any of those things. So it's not a selfish thing, it's an important thing to be able to engage in that self-care. And I will say my final plug, get those positive events planned and try to do one more thing a day than you would typically do and see if that helps to, to bolster your mood somewhat. Yeah, and, and my wrap up note would simply be, um, well, let, let me just say that Moravian College, uh, we uh, hopefully for many of you, we're a cherished institution that you will see us collectively and maybe certain key individuals as part of your social support inventory. But what I really want to make sure is that people understand that there's a level of help beyond this houndcast, beyond what we can do in 30 minutes, that we need to be mindful of. So, so what we really do, I think, to be responsible and, and credible, we need to point out that there are certain boundaries and thresholds that a 30-minute Houndcast is not going to be able to properly address. And, and so we want to make sure you're armed with those resources and, and that self-awareness. Um, so specifically, you know, any time that the emotions are so overwhelming, uh, issues of self-harm or harm to others, it's a huge, huge red flag that you need to pick up the phone. You need to get the help that you need. You need to seek some, perhaps some professional help. And really, if, you're, if you've been trying a lot of these techniques, that we've been sharing and, and they're still not managing uh, the level of stress and overwhelm and frustration and despair, again, that, that may be a sign that another level is needed. Uh, people on the frontline responders and those that are veering towards serious burnout, uh, again, we're not trying to suggest that our 30 minutes is a panacea. 
please understand there's, there's, there's great resources out there. And, and that's really what we want to provide is, um, you know, and, and, and those who've lost a loved one are seriously grieving uh, because of, of losses in their life and loved ones, uh, irreplaceable uh, victims of COVID-19. You know, please, please, please recognize that it may be beyond you and, and get the help that you need. And so, uh, yeah, definitely, Justin and Amanda, we, we definitely, uh, Dr. Haywan, I want to make sure we left you with uh, everybody with some resources that they need to be aware of if indeed the psychological impact is beyond what our suggestions can, can help with. And so I, I, I think we'll, we'll provide some resources and certainly my, my information will be there on those resources and, and feel free to reach out to me if you need uh, to get those resources and and discuss them any more fully. Um, so that's that's the last thing we wanted to end with, uh, in fairness and, and I think properly professional. Thank you, Dr. Bill. And just as he said, we're going to have um, some information for you guys on the next after this talking portion of our Houndcast wraps up. That'll pop up on your screen, but we'll also make sure that we put them in the description. So if you're looking for some of those resources, there's some links in there. There's uh, Dr. Brill's information as well. That will all be there and available to you guys so you can follow through on those. Um, I wanted to thank both of you guys for taking a little bit of time to be on our Houndcast. This was great. We enjoyed talking to you. Before we say goodbye, I have one more question for you. This is a little bit of a pop question. You weren't prepared for this one, but I think you'll be able to answer it just fine. Um, so one thing we've kind of started asking some of our participants is, you know, why do you love Moravian? Why do you stay at Moravian? So I'm actually interested with this one because Bob, you have been here a little bit longer than Alina has. So I'm interested to see if they are similar things or very different things. So what do you love most about Moravian? You know, what kind of, you know, for Bob has really gotten you to stay here for 29 years now. Yeah, so I, I will, um, I'll go first. Um, so I've been deferring to, to, to Alina, but I'll, I'll go first here since I have so much, so many years to draw on. <laughs> so, so I lived an hour away from my first eight years. And then my wife and I, we had two children and we just fell in love with Moravian College. We fell in love with campus and we fell in love with Bethlehem. So in 98, I started here in 91. Uh, my wife was a nurse in Philadelphia and we just we just realized that this was a great place, not just to work and not just to do the thing that I love to do that keeps the wind in my sails, teaching um, and working with young people. But we just knew it'd be a great place to raise a family. So in 98, November of 98, I moved from being probably one of the furthest faculty away to I am literally, I am literally, uh, I, I'm looking out at the seminary when I look to my left. I, I live the closest to campus we wanted that we wanted to we wanted our family to have the campus community as literally a, an extension of our backyard <laughs> uh, and and so it is and um you know my kids um you, you know the plays the sporting events the campus events uh cultural events the library uh, they, they would do their homework there and 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 i went from an hour commute to a two-minute walk home and uh it, it was a incredible improvement in quality of life and uh, uh, we had our third child was born in 99 here um, and so we, we really just 
realize that the where the nature of the campus community and the campus itself and living where we live was just the best and just an optimal way to raise our, our family and raise our kids. Um, and so that's really the beauty of in a context that I love and, and the spillover, the spillover was positive rather than being a negative spillover. It ended yeah. up being a beautiful spillover, which is something we talk about in work-life balance. Um, we just managed a really beautiful, optimal spillover there with, with the beauty of Moravian College. Great. Thanks for sharing. And those alums, those wonderful alums. <laughs> of course. Awesome. How about you, Alina? Um, so as I mentioned, I'm just finishing my first year here at Moravian. Um, and I would say the thing that has really struck me is what a strong community Moravian has. Um, everyone has been so welcoming and so supportive and so collaborative and so enthusiastic. Um, it's been a really, really lovely first year, uh, you know, barring some unforeseen intense changes to our world. But um, from a Moravian perspective, it's been such a great welcome of just such a strong, I feel such a strong sense of community um, and a very welcoming community for, for a new person to jump into um, and a very supportive community. And so I feel um, very lucky to be a part of Moravian now. Awesome. Well, welcome to the family. We're glad to have you, Lisa. Thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. And thanks to all of our viewers for tuning in to another episode of Houndcast. Um, like we said, we'll have some of those important information, uh, places to find that information. Dr. Brill's contact information is coming up next and also in the description of this Houndcast. So look for it there and feel free to reach out to Justin or I. If you had questions too, we can also connect you as well. So thanks for tuning in to another episode. Thanks to Dr. Bob Brill and Dr. Alina Hay for joining us today, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Hey, everybody, be good, <laughs> be safe, and stay well. My tagline. <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>